Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Well, take your Bibles and open up to the book of Galatians. And uh, does anyone need a Bible? Put your hand up if you need a Bible. We'll make sure we get you one. One down here. Any others? We'll make sure everyone's got a copy of God's Word. Okay? And uh, Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians 1. Okay? And uh, one of the things I want to challenge you with through this whole series is I want to challenge you to read through the book of Galatians each week. If you read through the book of Galatians each week for 12 weeks, you're going to know the book of Galatians really well. Okay? And uh, the cool thing about Galatians is you've got six chapters. So if you read one chapter a day and leave Sunday for our time together, you're set. Okay? So I just want to challenge you, and even if you go every other week, I just want to challenge you to read through the book of Galatians multiple times through this series. And the reason I say that is because it's one thing for us to get together and discuss this in person. It's another thing for us to read it ourselves, to grow in it, and this be the accentuation of the own work that you're doing at home. Okay? And as we unpack this, the more you know, the more you're going to comprehend and the more you're going to grow when we come together in this time. Because ultimately, when we come in this time, if you already have an idea of what is said, you can focus a lot more on what we're diving into. Okay? Now, as we do this, I I was planning on doing this in a different format than I'm going to. And the reason I shifted that is because... Uh, we have an opportunity here to equip you as the church, not just to hear the book of Galatians taught, but to know how to go about teaching the book of Galatians. Do you hear the difference there? And ultimately, what's really cool about this, we didn't plan it this way, but two weeks ago you heard Guy give a message on the importance of Scripture And coming back to the root of God's Word is the final authority in our lives. And then last week, you heard Brandon talk about discipleship and how simple it can be and yet how crucial it is to the transformative work that takes place from the church. And now we get the opportunity to practice both. We get to practice opening up the Bible and seeing what God's Word says, and then we've created curriculum for you so you can put into practice the discipleship portion of this, meeting with someone, bringing someone along, even if that's your own family. We're going to do this at dinner time. We're going to get together as a family and go through this together. Or I'm going to invite a coworker or a friend or a, a family member who may be a uh, away from the church or disenfranchised with this, this type of gathering. And so you know what? I'm going to study this with them. Whatever it may be, I want to encourage you to take seriously the charge that we have from Scripture 
to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. And our mission as a church is to glorify God, making mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. So the key portion of that is in our worship, in our growing, in our serving, in our reaching, we're making disciples. And we're seeking to glorify God in the midst of all of that. So as we walk through this, the structure I'm going to use is I'm actually going to teach you how to study the Bible beyond just reading it. So as we go through, I've got this set up. So I'm going to mark up scripture when we're here to walk you through the process I go through each week to prepare a message for you. It's kind of a neat opportunity for you to get an inside look into the process I go through to make sure that what I bring to you is biblical, not just my opinion. And as we navigate that, I'm going to be using a a method that was established by a guy named Howard Hendricks. And he was a Bible teacher and professor, and one of his uh, most popular resources was a a book uh, that taught you, it's called Living by the Book, and taught you how you go about studying the scripture instead of just reading it and glossing over, okay? And so as we jump into Galatians, I'm going to give you some, some insight into what that process looks like. But ultimately, I don't want to step so far away that we're not still learning from the text itself, okay? And so tonight, uh, if you get nothing else out of tonight, here's, here's the main idea of this message. And it really, it's the main idea of this week and next week. And that main idea is simply this. There is one God and one gospel. Be alert. One God... One gospel, be alert. Now, as we study this, I will walk through how this main idea came to be from the text of Scripture. Alright? Now, to understand a little bit about the method that we're going to use as we approach this, this is really what I was taught in a semester-long course at Moody Bible Institute during my sophomore year there. Okay? And this is the simplicity of the method that Howard Hendricks uses in his resource, and it's the method of observation, interpretation, and application. This is the subsequent process that we are encouraged to go through in order to best understand what is the text actually saying. Observation, interpretation, application. Now, while that may seem simple, we tend to mesh all of these together. We tend to put them all into the same category. And so we read Scripture, and at the same time we read Scripture, we observe, interpret, and apply all at once. We don't segment them out. And as a result, we end up losing a lot because we're not slowing down, patiently, methodically reading the text, drawing out the wealth of information that the Scriptures have, and then seeking to understand it, and lastly, seeking to apply it. Now, it's no surprise because ultimately when we open up the Bible and we come together, ultimately what we're really wanting is, God, I've got these struggles in my life. I've got these things that are just burdening me and I'm not really sure what to do or where to go. And so I'm opening the Bible desiring the application. I want to know how this applies to me. And it's one of the reasons so many people struggle with the Old Testament. Because they just want to open it and read and find the application. 
It's another reason that Proverbs is one of the most widely read books of the Bible. Because I can pull out a sentence, and it's really easy for me to get application out of that. But if we don't stop and slow down a little bit, we miss so much of the richness of the text. And so I want to, my, my hope and my prayer is as we dive into this, you will just be encouraged to dig deeper and to read more intentionally and more openly to what, what is God revealing in His Word. It's such a treasure, church. It's such a treasure that we have and so many people don't have. We forget that. So let's handle it well. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of these. And I'd encourage you, don't try to write all this down. Take some pictures of the slides if you want. Or if you want the slides even after the fact, send me an email, grab me after service and say, Matt, I would really like to have those just so I have a reminder. And I will send them to you, okay? But the first thing, in observation, there's really six things that we should... uh, we should look for when we're observing the text. And I'm going to walk through some of these in person, but I want to give them to you um, because over time, the more we practice this, the more it becomes habit. And you don't have to remind yourself of what I'm looking for because you start to see it. And so when we're observing the scriptural text, what we're really looking for is we're looking for things that are emphasized, things that are repeated, things that are related, things that are alike, things that are unlike, and things that are true to life. Now, when we jump into this, because of our time, we could spend three hours on this, okay? Because of the time allotted, I'm not going to keep you here for three hours. Some of you would be really frustrated with me if I did that. But what I'm going to do is uh, you will see a combination of some of these together, and we're not going to exhaust this, because we're going to look at nine verses today, and it would be near impossible for us to exhaust this in a 30-minute time frame. But what you will see is my first step, anytime I come to Scripture to study and prepare, when I observe, I intentionally just write down the observations themselves. Okay? I don't write out any details. I don't stop and try to figure out what it means. I just want to start by observing the text with the sole goal that I pull out some interesting things that I can study when I move to interpretation. Okay? So I like to sit and observe. I'll circle some stuff. I actually prefer to print out the scripture on a piece of paper. I copy and paste it over. I print it out. And then I just mark that piece of paper up like crazy. Especially in the observation phase. So sit down with your Bible. Write out. You could copy and paste the text. Or you can do this right in your Bible if you want. And circle some stuff. Draw out some observations. And then we move to interpretation. And in interpretation, Hendricks gives five keys to interpretation. And these are super helpful. And the five keys of interpretation, this is what you're taught to consider. Content, context, comparison, culture, and consolation. Okay? Notice that consolation is the last thing mentioned. Everyone say last. Everyone say last. Come on. There we go. I know I've been gone for a couple weeks, but we're back. Okay? Consultation there, alright? Consultation is when we refer to external, extra-biblical sources like commentaries. Alright? And you notice how far down the line that is. There's a reason for that, because if we jump right to a commentary when we come across an observation, 
we're prone to take the theological stance or position of whoever that commentator is before we've actually studied the text. And over time, we build an answers-based faith as opposed to a really apologetic, grounded belief and knowledge of what the Bible actually says. And so as we walk through this together, understand that when we go through this process and we do it well, you're going to grow in your own understanding of how to do this to the point that you'll start to recognize these structures and these things even before a pastor or someone else who's teaching talks about That's my desire. That's what I want. I don't want you to forever depend on me to give you this stuff. I want you to be able to discover the richness of Scripture on your own. Okay? So, that's kind of an intro to this. I just wanted to outline the structure we're going to be using for the rest of this series. And I want to stop a moment. I want to pray. Because I want to pray that this is growing, that this is challenging, that this is encouraging. And then we're going to read all nine verses and we're going to unpack them. Okay? So let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm thankful to be able to be back with my brothers and sisters in Christ and opening up scripture together, seeking to understand and be guided by your spirit that we would grow to be followers of Christ who are possessed by God, who are passionate about what you're doing, and who are uh, eager to understand the depths of Scripture and all that it teaches us about who you are and who you've called us to be. Use this time for your glory in your church tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to start at verse 1. We're going to read this, and then we're just going to walk through kind of a few verses at a time. And I'm going to teach you some of this uh, methodology as we go, and we're going to draw out some other information uh, and learn from Galatians chapter 1. So in Galatians 1 verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the, in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Okay, so this is the section we're going to seek to unpack tonight. And we're going to start by looking specifically at verses 1, uh, one and 2. This is the introduction. Everyone say introduction. And right off the bat, we should be looking and observing for specific people, places, some terminologies that maybe we don't quite understand. And so right away, one of the things I see is I see the name Paul. And that should stand out to me. So I'm just going to mark Paul. Then I see the word apostle. So that, that's related to Paul. But if I don't really understand who, what an apostle is, that's something I need to look more into. Now, going on from there, not from men nor through man but through Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus there 
Though we often skip over that, clearly this is an important character in the Bible. He shows up a lot. So we should seek to understand how does Jesus fit into what, what is being communicated here. Now, as we go further than that, you could do continued studies on God the Father. We could look up parallel passages to that. Who raised him from the dead. But notice this. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, just here in this alone, there's a lot that we can pull out of. For one, you look at the person of Paul. If we stop and we just have the observation of Paul... I would encourage you, you can write on your piece of paper, I know Paul's testimony is in Acts 9. We learn who is this guy, and how does he become who he is. This is a subcategory of this text, and if I don't know who Paul is, I should go to Acts 9. The cool thing about the day and age we live in is you don't have to just know that. If you come to a person like Paul, you can get on your computer, you can find a study Bible, and you can search Paul an Apostle. And you're going to get scripture. Now, what I'd encourage you with here is type scripture about Paul the Apostle. Because if you just put Paul the Apostle, you are going to get a load of information from a lot of different perspectives. Okay? That's where the consultation point comes in. But it's interesting here that Paul sees the need to express and be specific that he is indeed an Apostle. And a question we can ask here is, why did Paul seem to be so insistent on explaining he's an apostle, not just an apostle, an apostle that was made an apostle by God, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And I'll tell you, the reason for this is there is differing viewpoints now and there was then about what an apostle was. And there were people who revealed themselves and said, I'm an apostle and I'm an apostle that weren't actual, genuine, called apostles from the Lord. And in fact, even today, there's a couple of popular views about apostleship. One is called the radical view of apostleship. And what it what it states is that the apostles were inspired in the first century And we're in the 21st century, so we're even more inspired and have more authority because of all of this. Well, when you start reading scripture, you realize, no, Jesus himself appointed these guys to be apostles. And if any of you can claim that Jesus himself is personally in person appointed you to be an apostle, you need to come up here and teach. okay? because I am not that. (laughs) And the reality is none of us are. None of us have that kind of authority. It's what sets apart the apostles in Scripture. The second view of apostleship, though, is known as the Catholic view of apostleship. And what they believe is that the apostles were churchmen, therefore the church wrote the Bible, therefore the church has authority over Scripture. Now, just listening to that language, it gets kind of scary to think about if we believe the church has authority over Scripture. We don't believe that. We believe Scripture has authority over everything else. Everything we say, everything we do, needs to be rooted in the authority of Scripture. So Paul, in speaking here, is, it's important that we understand why his apostleship is such a big deal. Now, beyond this, understand that Paul kind of backs up what he's about to say by saying all these brothers 
who are with me, they agree with what I'm about to say. It's not just me that's communicating this to you. It's not just my perspective. There's a whole group of us that are concerned here about what's going on. The last thing in these couple of verses that I'll draw your attention to is Galatia. Now, I'm curious, how many of you, when you hear Galatia, and you hear these different churches, Ephesus, you think of a town. How many of you just think that by nature? Okay. How many of you think more like a state? How many of you would say you think that? Okay. How many of you would think of a country? Okay. And some of you, how many of you just aren't sure? <laughs> okay. Now, what's interesting about this is you can kind of see here, Galatia is huge. Galatia is this whole green section. Okay? Now, if you were to research this, you would find some interesting debate between what is called the Southern Galatia theory and the Northern Galatia theory. Okay? And there's people who debate all the time, well, is this letter written to those in the northern province or is it written to kind of the southern portion? And we see even here that these specific churches in the southern portion of Galatia are mentioned elsewhere in Scripture. So the most commonly held to viewpoint is that he's writing to these groupings of churches that he's already visited in the province of Galatia. Now, some cool facts along with that. Does anyone know where Galatia sits and where this whole entity is? What is there now? What country exists in that whole space now? You know? Turkey. This is the region that Turkey is now encompasses this whole thing. Okay? Just to give you a little idea of where this is in relation to the world we live in. It brings some more cohesiveness to understanding the people that Paul is writing to, okay? Now, as we move forward with this, we move into section uh, verses 3 through 5, and he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this, the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, this is a greeting, and within this greeting, understand something here. He gives a welcome, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he gets really specific. And in the intro, he shares the true gospel. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Right out of the gate, church. The emphasis here, when we read Galatians, we cannot skip this intro because it reminds us of the hope that we have and where our eyes are to be fixed. One God, one gospel. One. The gospel of Jesus. He gave himself for our sins. And specifically, Paul is writing the reminder to deliver us from the evil age, the present evil age. He writes the same thing in Ephesians 5. If you were to uh, search this phrase, deliver us from the present evil age, you would see in Ephesians 5, there's a very similar statement that's made. 
And in fact, in your Bibles, you might even have a little letter and it gives you a cross-reference that goes even over to Ephesians 5 because there's similar wording used here. Okay? These are all tools at our disposal. But ultimately, understanding even further that it's this, this sacrifice is according to the will of God, of the will of our God and Father. Now, who's God? He doesn't say they're of my God. He makes it plural. There's not my God and your God. There is the God. One God. One gospel. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, when we move on from here, Paul does not transition lightly. You get this kind of nice introduction, grace and peace to you, and then right out of the gate, man, he just comes at him. And it reminded me of a story that I once heard about a man who was working in the garage, and his wife knew that he didn't like to be bothered when he was working in the garage. And so she comes out to the garage and she calmly waits and stands there patiently and quietly until he kind of turns around and gives her the signal, okay, you can, what, 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 what do you need? What would you like? And she calmly and very politely says, the house is on fire. Okay? Now the story is meant to illustrate that sometimes there is a need for urgency. Sometimes there is a need for us to speak boldly and declare very clearly what needs to be said. And Paul does that here. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting, get this, Him who called you in the grace of Christ. He didn't simply say, you're deserting the gospel. He said, you're deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now that word gospel repeats itself. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, just in that section, gospel's repeated. So if we don't know what gospel means, we should look that up. The word gospel means good news. And specifically, the gospel of Christ should draw us to go, what is the gospel of Christ? Because Paul says, there isn't a different gospel, which means there's how many? Everyone say one. There's one gospel, and the gospel that they're being led away from or distort is the gospel of Christ. Therefore, we can determine that the one true gospel is, in fact, the gospel of Christ, according to Scripture. And Paul, as we saw before, summarized the gospel of Christ, that he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, for his glory. Now, clearly the church of Galatia had an issue here with wandering from the true gospel. But understand here, I'm going to draw an interpretive application. I'm going to jump a little bit for the sake of time. By deserting the gospel, they also deserted the one who called them in the grace of Christ. 
how often do we see someone desert the gospel, but we fail to say they have deserted God Himself? This is a serious issue, church. Paul calls out that they were deserting God Himself, who is the one who from the, from the first introduction, He's the one who gave His will that Christ be sacrificed that we could have life by denying the one gospel, by contorting it, by distorting it, we are at the same moment turning away from God Himself. There is one gospel. And there is one God who brought about the gospel, the good news. Because He's the only one that could bring about salvation for people like us. Now, ultimately, in this section, in 6 through 9, I want to shift this over. We've, we've observed some things. We haven't obviously gone through the intense, full, entire process of this. He goes further, but he says, Even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary. There's that word gospel again. Okay, Repeat. Repeated words. Look for those. Contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And then look, here's a repetitious statement. As we have said before, so now I say again. Now, when you see that happen, you should go, okay, warning sign, pay attention here. Pay close attention to this. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be cursed. Now church, there's two main applications that we can see from this text. The first one, well, okay, here, I'm going to give you another cheat sheet. These are great questions for you to ask when we move to application. There's nine of them. Again, I'll send these to you or you can take a picture of them, okay? Great questions for application. Is there an example for me to follow? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a prayer to repeat? Is there a command to obey? Is there a condition to meet? Is there a verse to memorize? The answer to that question is always yes. Is there an error to mark? Is there a challenge to face? Now, specifically, there's two I want to draw out for you tonight as we go from here. The first one is this. Lasting joy is found in the true gospel. You might be going, where do we see that? Well, I want you to stop and consider that in the very beginning, Paul identifies and says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The grace and peace that comes from God can only come through the true Gospel. 
And the second application point that accentuates this is that there is clear, serious judgment that is promised for those who preach a false gospel. In fact, he says it two times. It doesn't matter if it's us or an angel from heaven, if they proclaim to you a gospel contrary to the true gospel of the true God, let them be accursed. That is strong language. And he didn't even just say it once, he said it twice. Strong language. Serious judgment. There's serious repercussions here. And the opposite of that is, my goodness, church, there's such great joy that's found in the true gospel. Romans 1, Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to all who believe. So much joy is found in the good news that there is salvation in Christ. And the hope of Ephesians 2 that salvation is found in faith by grace. You are saved by grace through faith. It's not of works so that no man can boast. It's a gift of God. And the call is that we believe. That we believe that our only hope is in the God of the universe. The one true God. The God of the Bible. Who sent His Son to give Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Now, for many of us, we may look at this and we may go, well, I believe in the true gospel. Am I really going after? How would I turn from, as the Church of Galatia did, to a different gospel? And I want to just kind of bring your attention as we prepare to close to five false gospels that are very prevalent in our culture today. And they're subtle, but they are prevalent. Some of them you will have heard before. Others you will have not. The first one is the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says, if I do what God wants me to do, I will thrive in an earthly way. Whether that be materially, or in health, or in any other earthly facet. If I do what God wants and do it right, He's going to give me what I want. That's the prosperity gospel. It's very popular. The second one is one I like to call American Christianity. This gospel says, if I am an American, I am a Christian and therefore saved. Wrong. Not true, church. No one is born into salvation. We need Christ. And none of us are getting to eternity on the coattails of our ancestors. Doesn't work that way. It's a false gospel and it brings about false security and a false sense that we are somehow saved because I live in America. No, 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 no. I don't care where you live. I don't care where you're at. I don't care where you're listening to this. You are only saved through the one gospel provided by the one God through Christ. The third one is what I call the social justice gospel. And what this says is if I am 
active injustice initiatives, I am saved. This follows the same train of thought as the American Christianity gospel. Where it says, man, if I do all of these good things and try to help all these different people or right all these different wrongs, then yeah, I'm saved. Surely I'm not, I'm not condemned because look what I've done. The next one is the works-based gospel. This one was really hard, and we're going to see a lot of that affecting the church of Galatia as we study this. The works-based gospel, if my good acts outweigh my bad, I'm saved. Wrong. How would any of us know if we've done enough? There's no hope in a works-based gospel. And the last one is much more prevalent today. I call it the conspiracy gospel. And it says, you can't trust anyone and salvation therefore is found in yourself. In other words, you can't trust anyone or anything including the Bible because it's all a conspiracy. So trust your gut. Trust yourself. It's the only thing you can trust. That's what will save you. Wrong. The heart is deceitful above all things and wicked Church, at the end of the day, this is it. There's one God. There's one gospel. But false teachers are prevalent. And we need to be alert. And we need to fight for the one gospel. And remain true to the one word, the authority of Scripture. It's the only thing. That we could fall back and go, I, I have confidence in this. I have confidence in who God has called me to be, who He's called the church to be because of what He has said. No opinion, no person should be able to shift that or shift our focus away from that. And if they do according to Paul, let them be accursed. One God, one gospel. Be alert, church. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And uh, as they do, we're going to pray that we would be a church that is about and defends the one gospel and finds our hope and security in Him and in Him alone. Now, if you're here today or you are listening, and maybe this is the first time you have heard these distinctions made, I want you to know that there is salvation. There is the promise of eternity in Christ. No matter what you're facing today, no matter how anxious or fearful you are, there is a God who cares for you so much that He sent His Son so that you could have hope and security no matter what is taking place on this earth. And all He asks is that we believe. That we believe that He gave His Son for us. And that the only lasting hope that we can have is in Him. And so if you aren't sure what that looks like, or maybe you're saying, I believe, I believe in the true gospel, but I don't know where to go from here, I want you to get a hold of us. Whether you email us, office at cantonefree.com, you call us at 309-647-4278,
Or you grab me after service and you say, I need to know more. I want to grow. I want to understand this better than I do today. You let us walk with you through that because our mission is to glorify God as we make mature disciples of Christ. And we've all got a long way to go to maturity, right? But we want to hold true to the one gospel. Father, as we uh, pray now, I uh, ask that you would help us to understand the depth of your sacrifice and even more so the severity that we hold to the true gospel and understand there is one God and one gospel that we fight for that. And ultimately that at the end of the day, you would be the one who is glorified. Not us as your people, not the organization, Lord, not any individual, but you and you alone. I pray that you would draw many to yourself, that your gospel would continue to move forth with power and boldness, that you would challenge and motivate us by your spirit as we lean into this season and this time, that we would model Jesus well. I pray this all in his name.